Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 1 podcast. In this episode, we go over the topic of immunization from the immunology section on MedBullets.com. Let's start this episode with an introduction. Immunization allows for individuals to be protected against disease. Immunity can be conferred in two ways, including active immunity and passive immunity. Active immunity is maintained by the immune system, whereas passive immunity is given transiently from outside. Vaccinations are a major source of conferring immunity outside normal infection and include viral vaccines and bacterial vaccines. Viral vaccines are divided into killed vaccines and live attenuated vaccines. Often, vaccinations require an adjuvant that enhances the immune reaction against the vaccine provided. It increases the development of memory to non-inflammatory antigens and can be of several types including aluminum potassium sulfate, miramyl dipeptide, and LPS or polyribonucleotides. Though vaccines are generally safe, contraindications to their use include people with egg allergies who should avoid yellow fever vaccine and other vaccines made in eggs, pregnant women who should avoid rubella vaccines, and immunocompromised individuals who should avoid all live vaccines. Next, let's talk about active versus passive immunity. Immunity can be either active or passive with several notable differences. We'll discuss the differences between active and passive immunity. We'll talk about the various features of passive and active immunity. The first feature is acquisition method. In passive immunity, the patient would be receiving preformed antibodies. In active immunity, there would be exposure to infection or to foreign antigens. Examples of passive immunity include maternal IgG crossing the placenta, babies getting IgA in breast milk, and administration of antitoxin. Examples of active immunity include infection with the specific pathogen and administration of a vaccine. The next feature is onset. In terms of onset, in passive immunity, the onset is immediate upon administration. In active immunity, the onset is slow to allow for development of the full immune response. And the last feature is duration. In passive immunity, the duration is very short with a half-life between two weeks and four weeks. In active immunity, the duration is long or even lifetime. This is due to the generation of memory. Next, let's discuss viral vaccines in more detail. Viral vaccines can either be live attenuated or killed with several notable differences. The differences between live and killed vaccines are as follows. In terms of production method, live vaccines involve designing a non-pathogenic version of a virus that can still grow transiently in the host. Killed vaccines involve inactive pathogen or pathogen antigens by treatment with heat or chemicals. The following are pros and cons of live versus killed vaccines. In terms of pros, live vaccines induce both cellular and humoral responses. They usually induce lifelong immunity. Killed vaccines are safer than live vaccines because they cannot revert to the pathogenic state. In terms of cons, live vaccines cannot be given to immunocompromised patients, and there is a small chance of them reverting to a pathogenic state.
killed vaccines have a weaker response and usually only humoral. They may require booster shots as well. Let's now discuss examples of both live and killed vaccines. Examples of live vaccines are the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine or MMR, the VZV or varicella zoster virus vaccine, the Sabin version of the polio vaccine, and everything else. Examples of killed vaccines include rabies, influenza, the Salk version of polio, and hepatitis A. A good way to remember this is using the acronym REST IN PEACE ALWAYS. Next, let's discuss the concept of bacterial vaccination. Bacterial vaccination involves administration of characteristic protein, which can be inactivated toxin produced by pathogen called a toxoid, a coat protein that surrounds the pathogen called a capsule, or other important proteins that are conserved by the pathogen. Select examples of vaccines against pathogenic bacteria include DTAP that is composed of C. diphtheriae toxoid, C. tetany toxoid, and Bordetella pertussis toxoid. They also include H. influenzae capsular type B and strep pneumoniae that comes in two forms including a pediatric version with seven capsule types and an adult version with 23 capsular types. For the seven-capsule-type pediatric version, think a seven-year-old gets PCV. And finally, examples of vaccines against pathogenic bacteria also includes Neisseria meningitidis with four capsular proteins. Note that parenterally derived vaccines are not effective against mucosal bacteria due to inferior secretory IgA response. Examples of mucosal bacteria include E. coli and Vibrio cholerae. Orally delivered vaccines allow direct antigen contact with the mucosa, generating a strong secretory IgA response. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. First question. A 20-year-old woman arrives to a travel medicine clinic for an appointment because she is going to volunteer in Southeast Asia for three months. As she is traveling to a cholera endemic area, general precautionary advice is given and an oral cholera vaccine is recommended. Which aspect of immunization is primarily diminished with a parenteral delivery route compared to an oral one? 1. Secretory IgA production. 2 secretory IgG production, 3. secretory IgM production, 4. serum IgA production, or 5. serum IgG production. And the correct answer choice is answer choice 1, secretory IgA production. Parenterally derived immunizations are not very effective against mucosal pathogens like cholera because they do not produce an adequate secretory IgA response. Remember, although the process of adaptive immunity is common to all vaccinations, the delivery route alters where the antigen is exposed. For instance, M and dendritic cells are located close to the epithelial surface of the mucosa, providing active surveillance of the local environment. Oral vaccines directly come in contact with these cells while parenterally delivered vaccines would have difficulty reaching this cell population. 
These cells coordinate with local plasma cells in the lamina propria that produce IgA dimers, which bind to polymeric Ig receptors on the basolateral side of epithelial cells. They undergo transcytosis to the apical side and are proteolized for release in the lumen. Due to its polymeric structure, IgA can facilitate multiple processes such as immune exclusion, for example agglutination of pathogens, mucus entrapment, and peristaltic clearness, and steric hindrance. One of the most common immunodeficiencies is IgA deficiency with patients having propensities for mucosal infections, for instance sinopulmonary and gastrointestinal infections, and allergies, though most are asymptomatic. Let's now review the incorrect answer choices. Answer choice two, secretory IgG production is incorrect because the parenteral delivery route leads to normal IgG production by plasma cells. Secreted IgG exists in a monomer form and is the only immunoglobulin that passes through the placenta. Answer choice three, secretory IgM production is incorrect because while the parenteral delivery route likely leads to decreased secretory IgM production, secretory IgA is the primary mucosal defense and thus the better answer. It is theorized that increased levels of secretory IgM may explain why IgA-deficient individuals are mostly asymptomatic. Answer choice four, serum IgA production is incorrect because the parenteral delivery route leads to normal serum IgA production. Rather, secretory IgA production is low compared to an oral delivery route. Low IgA levels, both serum and secretory, could be seen in IgA deficiency. And finally, answer choice five, serum IgG production is incorrect because the parenteral delivery route leads to normal IgG production by plasma cells. Of all antibody isotypes, IgG has the highest serum concentration, but IgA has the highest overall production. In summary, parenterally delivered vaccines are less effective against mucosal pathogens because of an inferior secretory IgA response. Next question. A 28-year-old woman is brought to the hospital by her boyfriend. She has had three days of fever and headache, followed by one day of worsening confusion and hallucinations. She also becomes agitated when offered water. Her temperature is 101 degrees Fahrenheit or 38.3 degrees Celsius. Two months prior to presentation, the couple was camping and encountered bats in their cabin. In addition to an injection shortly after exposure, what would have been the most effective treatment for this patient? 1. A toxoid vaccine within 10 days of exposure. 2. A killed vaccine within 10 days of exposure. 3. Oseltamivir within one week of exposure. 4. Venom antiserum within hours of exposure. Or 5. Doxycycline for one month after exposure. And the correct answer choice is answer choice 2, a killed vaccine within 10 days of exposure. The patient in this clinical vignette likely has rabies given the presentation of hydrophobia and history of animal, likely bat exposure. The rabies vaccine is a killed vaccine which should be given within 10 days of exposure. This patient's exposure to animals while camping, hydrophobia, and high fever are concerning for rabies. Rabies is most effectively treated with a dose of human rabies immune globulin and rabies vaccine shortly after exposure. The rabies vaccine is a killed or inactivated vaccine.
Viruses are inactivated by heat or formaldehyde to prevent infection from the virus. The virus capsid proteins then evoke an adaptive immune response, which primes the patient to recognize and mount an immune response when exposed to rabies virus. Let's now review the incorrect answer choices. Answer choice 1. Toxoid vaccines are inactivated bacterial toxins used for the prevention of diphtheria, tetanus, and botulism. Answer choice 3. Oseltamivir is an antiviral for the treatment of influenza. It is not effective for rabies. Answer choice 4. A venomous animal, such as a pit viper, requires immediate treatment with venom antiserum. There is no evidence that the patient was bitten by a snake. And finally, answer choice 5, doxycycline, may be used to treat Lyme disease transmitted from a tick bite. Antibiotics are ineffective against the rabies virus. In summary, the rabies vaccine is a killed, inactivated virus and should be given within 10 days of exposure. And that's all for this review about immunization. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from these MedBullets Step 1 podcasts so far, please consider leaving us a 5-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you are not already, be sure to follow MedBullets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullets Step 1 podcast.